I'm Cameron Harold, the founder of the Second in Command podcast. Really quick, before we jump into today's episode, you need to know about two important ways that we can help you and your company grow. Number one, check out the COO Alliance. It's for COOs, presidents, VP ops, or whoever is your company's second in command to the CEO. The COO Alliance is the world's leading community for the second in command, and it gives COOs the tools and connections to grow themselves and the company. Head over to COOalliance.com to learn more about our members and the results, the program, and our 10x guarantee. If you qualify for membership, you can set up a complimentary call with our team to discuss if it's right for you. I'll tell you about number two in a bit, but first, let's start this week's episode. 11 Labs, as you mentioned, is a text-to-speech company, and our mission is to make content universally accessible in any language and voice. So you could dub a podcast that is still spoken in your voice into another language. That's like the goal. The more immediate use cases are inputting text and outputting audio. For example, if you want to create an audiobook, you can upload the EPUB file. That is the format in which audiobooks uh, come. And then you can immediately, instantly create the spoken version of that. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. All right, you're going to love this episode that we have today. You're going to want to watch this one on our Second Command podcast YouTube channel as well. We've got Victoria Weller, who is the Chief of Staff from Eleven Labs. Uh, she's going to talk about her background in astrophysics around the safety of artificial intelligence, about why Eleven Labs was one of the fastest growing companies in the AI space in 2023, having raised $20 million at a $100 million valuation because they'd already had millions of customers. Yeah, millions. Um, her background in space medicine and also going to talk about the leverage and what their company, Eleven uh, Labs, does in the AI space of text-to-voice technology. We even talk a little bit about extraterrestrials. You're going to love this episode. We'll see you on the inside. So, Victoria, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, very much looking forward to doing this episode with you. Really looking forward to learning from you. I love just before we went live, you explaining that you've lived in London, you've lived in Berlin, you've lived in Edinburgh, you lived in New York. What an amazing opportunity as a human to be able to live in some of the best cities in the world. Can yeah. You tell us how that all happened. Yeah. I've been very lucky to be able to move around that much. And I think there's something uh, that I was able to take from each of the places I lived in. But um, to go chronologically, it happened that. I went to an international school in, in Munich where I grew up. So it was always tailored. My education was tailored towards going abroad to, to study. And I never even considered staying in, in Munich or even staying in Germany for my education, but only looked uh, across at the US or in the UK uh, for universities. And then got accepted into Edinburgh. I had applied for architecture and then last minute pivoted to astrophysics. Um, and Edinburgh was uh, open enough to, as they mentioned, as they called it, open an experiment to see um, whether I would be successful at studying astrophysics, even though I hadn't done physics higher level in uh, my IB. And it was successful in the end, loved my four years there, and then had an opportunity 
for a role at the Center for Space Medicine in Berlin. It's part of the Charité, which is one of the biggest hospitals slash medicine universities in Germany. And I was a recent research assistant there for a year, um, both uh, teaching the medicine uh, students in some of their modules, but also doing a literature review of every every piece of research that had been done on how the body changes and more specifically how the cardiovascular system changes in microgravity. So what is different about the blood system of an astronaut versus the blood system of everyone else, like every one of us down, down wow. on Earth? And, and what are the complications that this can lead to both when going to space, but also when coming, coming back to Earth? And that was really exciting. We ended up publishing a Springer brief, um, a small book uh, about this at the end of the year. And I, I love my time there. I would have really liked to continue thinking about astronauts or maybe even even becoming one but for a career at the center for space medicine as the name says it would have been crucial to study medicine or or at least physiology and so i also realized that i really miss physics and um the the rationality behind that and the formulae and the greek alphabet so i started uh, looking into doing a master's um master's degree in, in physics again, started applying for that. And while I was going through the applications, did an internship at a microsatellite startup in, in Berlin, which was also really exciting. Um, spent three months simulating their sun baffles. So thinking about when you want to take a picture of stars from a satellite in space, you want it to be as dark as possible. You want to get only the light from the star. And to get as much light as possible from the star and little interference from everything else around all the other stars and galaxies, they put baffles on top of the cameras on the satellites. And you can have different shapes and steps and different colorings and coatings. And we were running uh, simulations, uh, often like overnight, of all the different uh, ge uh, genomical um positions we could have of the sunlight baffles to find the best one to construct and then put on on these microsatellites to send to space Holy and by the, by the time i'd gone I, i'm just going to uh, continue going through but yeah. if you want to interrupt and ask any questions about any of these um happy happy to dive deeper into it uh, ad hoc as well but um after i'd gone i i'd been done with it was called berlin space technologies I got accepted to Columbia University and went to New York for a master's in applied physics. So less extraterrestrial, more down, down on earth uh, physics and did my master's in New York, which was an incredible experience, both from the education at Columbia, but also from living in New York in, in my early 20s. That was an incredible opportunity. I loved every day of it. And I loved it so much that it went so fast. I felt like I blinked twice and uh, I had finished my master's. And so I decided to take uh, the opportunity that you get after getting a degree in the US. If you're a foreigner, German at least, you um, have an OPT. So you're allowed to stay for three years uh, from, with a STEM subject to work. Yeah. And I got um, a job at a startup which was in hindsight a perfect segue for me into the data tech world. Uh, the startup is called Crypt and they do uh, quantum secure data encryption. And they had both hardware components and uh, software components. 
And this was a perfect combination because I could speak to the hardware components on which lasers were split, phase shifted and interfered to create quantum random numbers that were then used for the encryption of data, um, but was also working on the software pieces in a sort of project management role and moved closer to tech and understood the importance of data um, and the use of data and then found out about Palantir and applied there as a reliability engineer and joined Palantir in 2019, which was actually my most recent position before Eleven Labs. So um, I was at Palantir in, in New York for the first couple of months until the pandemic hit, relocated with them to London, stayed for another couple of years, and now in May switched to a startup called Eleven Labs, which does text to speech AI. And I'm working there as chief of staff and own all the internal operations as well as compliance and hiring and HR and a big hodgepodge of things that are super fast moving and really exciting and exactly what I want to do at the time being. Um, I think you can tell that there's like so many different things that yeah. I that I did that now in one role, I get to do so many different things, which I really enjoy. I'm, I'm kind of dumbfounded. I mean, anyone who's watching this on our YouTube channel, we have a Second Command podcast YouTube channel, will see why I'm dumbfounded. You don't look old enough to have done all this stuff. Like, <laughs> even, and, and, but even when you said, you know, you got your master's in your early 20s or you started your master's in your early 20s, you've really done a lot at quite a young age. Um, you know, clearly, I mean, anyone to, to uh, clearly to work in astrophysics is, is clearly smart. Um, and I'm glad you gave us a bit of a glimpse as to what astrophysics is. I've heard of it. I, physics was really one of the only courses in high school that I loved. And I was never like fantastic at, but it made sense to me. I think it appealed yeah. to the logic side of, of my world. So I'm curious how you go from all of this real science, real kind of esoteric, real kind of, you know, mathematical, and then into the business world. Like, how do you, how do you make that leap? It doesn't yeah. seem like a very logical leap, but I know that you've done it and, and many engineers are running, you know, tech companies. So yeah. how, how do you learn business and how have you made that leap? Yeah, for, for me, it was in the end, um, mostly it came down to logic for, for that leap. And the more time I spent with astrophysics or with physics and research, I realized the timeframes over which huge changes and impact happens. Um, before going to Edinburgh during my studies, I also did an internship at the Max Planck Institute for Extraterrestrial Physics. And for my entire summer, I was analyzing the gamma ray burst and the spectral catalog of these explosions that had been seen over the last two years. And I spent six weeks just selecting the background and the foreground. And uh, this was a tiny part of a huge spectral catalog, which in turn was a tiny part of a bigger uh, piece of, of research, which might take someone a, a lifetime to find something that is truly life-changing or in, in their world life-changing and then ends up being not really life-changing to the rest uh, of the civilization. So I realized that you are very much in a niche that not many others care about, but you also operate on terrestrial or extraterrestrial time frames where it's taken the light millions of years to reach you, and it might take you many years as well to uh, have an uh, uh, aha moment from it. 
Um, and so that I realized that wasn't the, the speed that I want to operate at, as well as the locations usually where where these things happen, the especially astrophysics research happens. Um, we spoke briefly about the light interference of yeah. um, satellite ob observatories, but for observatories on Earth, that's an even bigger consideration. You can't be close to a city because the city lights and the pollution and the scattering of light makes all of your um, extraterrestrial observations worse. And so you end up being in the Atacama Desert or anywhere by design that is dark and is far away from civilization, um, but is also like in need of a lot of space and therefore cheap. And I'm, I like Berlin and New York <laughs> and London. Yeah. Yeah. And so there was a, a contradiction there as well. Um, and then there's a financial aspect and then there's the... You have I for me it's really important to to get along with colleagues and, and love who I work with. And um at some point I also realized that those people are more in the business world rather than in, sure. in the research world. Okay, so I gotta ask you one one final question around physics and then we'll we'll kind of dive into eleven in the business world. So yeah. are there extraterrestrials and are we living in a simulation? Uh, both amazing questions. I don't know how you expect me to answer them really quickly <laughs> before talking about Eleven Labs. Um, I don't know. Uh, it would be really fun if either of these were true. For the first one, I would say, like, what what gives us the right to think that we're the only civilization out there? The universe is so vast. Like, yeah. surely. Um, but but I don't have better insight there uh, to to other people. But I think for that one, I if you if I had to choose, I would like to believe that yes. Yeah. And for the latter, I think I think not. I, I think this is this is real. <laughs> I think I think <laughs> for the who knows. I think for the latter, it's a fun Burning Man conversation, but it's not necessarily <laughs> it's not necessarily one that really makes sense. But yeah, but, for, for the exercise, yeah. it just doesn't make any sense how we can be the only species in the entire solar universe. It it, it just makes no sense. And and that will probably be the one regret that I would have before I die that we don't find something like it would just. That's kind of the one unanswered thing that would be kind of cool, other than like, why are we here? Which yeah, we'll, we'll never figure that one out. That's another really frustrating thing about physics is you you spend so much time trying to find the answer to these unsolved problems, and you might die before the answer is found. And it's just so frustrating to to think that you might never know. Like we, we will never know. We won't be there for the answer of these things. Uh, and that's maybe another thing that deterred me from 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 physics. It makes sense that it would deter you because I think all of a sudden your intelligence and logic would kick in and say, like, what's the fucking point of doing all this work if it just isn't going to be used or pay off or if no yeah. one's really going to care? Like, I see that one solar burst and great, three people care. Like, really? I just spent yeah. a year doing something. You know what? I get it. So it makes sense. I think it really depends what motivates you. Some people are excited by seeing those solar bursts and that's all they care about. They would do it even if no one read the papers or they wouldn't even get to write the papers. They just want to think about solar bursts all day. But I'm personally someone that's also motivated by the recognition and therefore want to do something where I see the impact um, either directly or indirectly on the way that we live our lives. So I, want, I wanted to ask you about that. You mentioned when you were working in space medicine, which also is super intriguing, like, holy shit. By the way, just like a quick question. How different is the physiology and and the the needs of the human body in space versus on earth like is it yeah. is it drastically different or is it yes. kind of similar 
I mean, it's still a human body and you still have to eat and, and digest. Um, the impact of gravity on the human body, though, is so much more profound than you will think. We're so used to like standing up from a chair and like w when we're in a headstand, it just feels different. And in in space that is taken away and there are many things that happen as a consequence that you wouldn't Whoa. think of right away the in, impact that i spent most time thinking about was on the cardiovascular system where it also that's has what i was just start, i was just starting to think that yeah yeah probably the hardest uh, impact apart from uh, muscle dystrophy so astronauts have to work out for several hours per day to keep up their muscle but also their bone mass as a result so that they're not completely weak and unstable when returning to earth but other than that the cardiovascular system takes a huge hit um as a result of the of gravity not pulling down all liquids to your lower extremities Makes but sense. rather everything kind of moves up a little bit like you're in a handstand but yeah. maybe somewhere in between yeah. and the human body has baroreceptors so ways of measuring the pressure in the upper part like of of your body around your chest area sure. and if all the liquid is pushed up the baroreceptors are like oh pressure is higher it must mean that there's too much liquid and then astronauts that just arrive in space they're the body is like okay signal too much liquid let's start reducing our blood volume yeah they pee a lot uh, reduce the blood volume everything's back to normal they have a great time while they're up there and everything's like transferred the blood is transferred up but then when they go back to earth and everything's pulled to their feet they Ooh. often like they can't walk or they would uh, faint when they walk. Wow. And there are many things that you can do to to prevent that. And a couple chapters in that book were also about like what you can do to one, like study it on Earth without having to go to space to see what happens. But also what can you do, um, be it like drink a bunch of salt water before returning to Earth to make sure that once you arrive, you are actually more okay than you would be if you didn't have any anti-precautionary measures. Okay, so like that science seems to be extraordinarily fascinating and also extraordinarily useful, considering that we're working towards this being an interplanetary species where we are, you know, doing more in space, we are looking at potentially colonizing Mars. Like, these are answers that that are not only intriguing, but also we need to understand this soon. Yeah, soon, soonish. Soonish. Okay. All right. <laughs> I think I so think relevant for Mars One, but um, I think AI is more relevant to the average. Uh, all right. Consumer. So so better left for a dinner party conversation than still. So then <laughs> for another then, Burning Man conversation. Yeah, another Burning Man conversation. <laughs> so then then you get to work in AI. I mean, clearly it is the hottest you know, industry and, um, you know, business areas being talked about today. And you're in the in the kind of um, text to speech side of things, which is also super intriguing, because so, so talk to us a little bit about what 11 labs is working on. Yeah, uh, 11 labs, as you mentioned, is a text to speech company. And um, our mission is to make content universally accessible in any language and voice. So you could dub a podcast that is still spoken in your voice into another language. That's like the, the goal. The more immediate use cases are inputting text and outputting audio. For example, if you want to create an audiobook, you can upload the EPUB file. That is the format in which audiobooks uh, come. And then you can immediately, instantly create 
the spoken version of that. You can even go as far as instead of having one voice read the entire audiobook, you can give each character their own voice and then have the dialogues with different characters, which I think is in is such a fun improvement to what, how we know audiobooks at the moment. So those are uh, two examples of how text-to-speech can be used. And Eleven Labs is one of the, the leading AI uh, companies in that space with the best models that are really great at creating emotionality in, in the voices and having contextual awareness as well. Um, and this contextual awareness is where AI really, really feeds in and where AI has allowed a breakthrough for text-to-speech compared to how, you know, Alexa speaks or Siri right. speaks, where the, the model understands what it is saying and therefore can say it in exactly the right way. So you could say a sentence, it's like, hi, my name is Victoria, I'm really sad. And that will come out sounding a lot sadder than if you would say, hi, I'm Victoria, I'm so happy. That would come out like, more sure. uh, 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 um, excited because of the context of, of that sentence. And you could also clone voices. So you could have that sentence spoken in by me without me having to sit and, and record it in the first place in the happy and the sad version, potentially. Yeah, what I, what I love about Eleven, and I've heard about Eleven now over the last few months, almost weekly, um, someone is mentioning Good. it to me for, for a few re for a few reasons, and I'll and I'll talk about why I'm excited, and I'm I'm going to become a client quite quickly. Um, I love also that it can also add the inflection and the intonation into the speech yeah. as well, so that it it literally does take the written the written word, and it doesn't sound robotic. It really does sound like we would speak. So the reason I'm excited about it, I went into studio a year ago today to record my um, my sixth book. It's called The Second in Command. And I spent two and a half days in studio in Dubai recording my audiobook. And I literally felt like poking my F and I's out with my pen. Like I was just like, someone kill me. This was eight hours a day standing, trying to actually be excited when my content's really good, but it's hard for me to be excited reading it. I'm also not that great at reading. I'd rather stand in front of a thousand people than stand and read to someone. And then to try to throw the inflection and the intonation in. And, and, and without having to like read it and then also go on these little hyperlinks because I wanted to add more information that was probably coming in the next chapter anyway. And then all of a sudden I find out that I could literally now, I, now that I've read that entire book, I can upload it. I can take a few of my speaking events and upload that content that will train your system AI. And, and then I could upload my other five books and your system could literally punch out the audio recording for me without me having to spend what would now be 14 more days in studio. Exactly. You could it's be done today. It's fucking amazing. Yeah. So it also, when I had to pay the authors to read my other five books, I paid them $6,000 each. I don't love their voice. They do sound a little bit kind of robotic. And strangely, people still want, because I've done so many paid speaking events, I've been paid to speak in 28 countries. I have this audience of people that want to read my content, but they want to hear me reading it for some yes. bizarre reason. Like we want yeah, to hear and you know, they want your voice. Yeah. And they, they just don't like Fred who's reading it, even though Fred sounds fine. Right. Yeah. So, so how the fuck does the system work? How does this, how does 11 work? Yeah. Uh, that's a great question. And another use case also, also quickly before we dive in a bit more into the tech, um, the, the other day when you lost your voice, you potentially could have continued recording podcasts if you would have uh, uh, implemented some text to speech there. 
um, just as an as an idea. So uh, well, I, both saving I, time in the studio, but also uh, saving time at home. I did. I did actually also write down that I'm going to take a look at at using Eleven to also transcribe our podcast into a number of the best languages. Like, there's no reason why we shouldn't do, you know, Mandarin, Spanish, French, German. That's probably enough. I mean, like, what would the big five or six be? Um, the, those are definitely on the, the, the top of the list. Definitely, it's something that we that we that Eleven Labs offers as well. Eleven Labs has 28 languages that uh, you can choose from. Many, many more voices, but you can also upload uh, your your own voice. And Mandarin, Spanish, German, French are all in there. You could even do English to English from your voice to Fred's voice, or vice versa. Yeah, I was at the. I've gone to the main five day TED conference for 11 years, and at TED, I think it was last year. It was either last year or three years. It must have been last year. They had this guy on stage singing, and then all of a sudden his voice changes, and it's this woman's voice, and you see his mouth moving. You see him singing into a microphone, and AI literally changed it to this woman's voice in a different language. We're like, what the fuck? This is like, it's really cool shit. Like, this isn't... And, and what I'm really frustrated around people speaking about AI right now is they're all talking about AI... And they're talking about one software. They're talking about ChatGPT. That's one tool. I, I have a dashboard called There's an AI for that. And there's something like 8,000 <laughs> different AI tools that exist. Yeah. And everybody's talking about one of them. So yeah. how, how do we get people to understand what Eleven does and to play with the tool? Who would you yeah. want playing with the tool to see the opportunities? Yeah, I do think that uh, OpenAI has like a, was a pioneer in creating that fundamental shift or creating that that mind-blowing moment for people first interacting with chat gpt and understanding like ai is here to change the world yeah. but then i think from the text space space where chat gpt operates to the visual space where dolly or um journey mid-journey uh, operate and then the voice space where 11 labs is um, dominating at the moment and i think the people to your question of who should be using it i think there's also almost no no limit to this the immediate thought is content creators so for example you with podcasts or audiobooks but also with a shorter narration of videos or uh, shorts even like the voiceovers for any length length of video or movie or film uh, can be done with 11 labs but then you can continue thinking about it and if you have awareness just going through your day you can see almost infinite use cases for text-to-speech one of the most unique ones i found within our customer base is a hospital that uses 11 labs to read out before a surgery all the possible side effects and consequences and everything that has to be read out to the patient before wow. the surgery. And, and for that, also you understand why you wouldn't want it to be too robotic. Um, and maybe even a doctor that reads this has to like rush through it and, and is too robotic. So a really good uh, use case for that, but not one that I would have thought of in, in, in a, a dark room coming up with, with use cases. But one that I'm also really excited about is for accessibility. So we found that on the B2C side, there are many users that use 11 labs um, for text-to-speech, be it because they can 
they're visually impaired and, and they have a hard time reading. And it's so much nicer to have a human voice reading things to you rather than a robotic one, especially if you spend the majority of your day with text readers, etc. Or people that have lost their voice as a result of throat cancer or similar and um, or have trouble like with stutters or finishing their sentences. There's so many physical things that can impede your speech that un where 11 Lab unlocks the option to speak again and even to speak again in your original voice. For those that have uh, like changed their voice over the course of time, they can have their old voices back or even their, their voice back period. So I think in the accessibility space, it's also super exciting. That's on the B2C side. And we also serve to enterprise customers. And there it's another, uh, you open a plethora box, I think it's called, right? When you, Pandora's box, when there's just, there, there's so much, uh, so much in there, like from automotive to like that hospital use case to gaming yeah. studios, to production companies, uh, everywhere. The, the first aha moment I had with 11 labs was when I heard about it and then I took the bus home and every station there's a, a voice that announces the next stop. And my mind just went to the operational costs of creating these uh, recordings for me to know which bus stop is next. And then there's a diversion and suddenly the bus driver has to tell me what the next stop is. And somehow I, it's almost impossible to understand them. And and so for me, I was like, okay, transportation, huge use case, probably a smaller one if you look at our uh, enterprise suite now. But even there, like in in day to day life, there's so much text to speech that could be leveraged. So I just thought of a bizarre use case. My mom passed away 20 years ago, and there's an email that she wrote me that I reread frequently, and it would be wonderful to be able to hear it in her voice. And that That's would be lovely. something that if we ever had her voice, that could yes. easily. If I had yeah. videos of her speaking, I could train AI to be able to speak yeah. it and then have her read the email to me. Of Yeah. You know what? That is actually a use case that comes up a lot for, for mothers, but also uh, other family members. And we've just implemented a, a, a workflow specifically for that, for the compliance parts of it. Um, mm -hmm. There are two ways on Eleven Labs to clone a voice. The first is instant voice cloning, where you upload 30 seconds of audio and then you get a voice clone and you can read any text out loud in the specific voice and then there's professional voice cloning which is a higher quality uh, voice clone for which you need 30 minutes of input data and because we want to in ensure that that the 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 um, people cloning those voices have the rights to the voice that it's right. their voice we have a voice capture as part of the flow so you upload your samples and then there's a flow in which you are confronted with a random sentence and you have to read it out loud. And then we manually go through to ensure that those voices are the same. And only if that, that proof exists, that it's your voice, you can go through, we allow the model to train um, okay. on, on the uploaded data. That and if you wanted to do that for your mother, there would be no way to pass right. that voice capture. So um, we've implemented a workaround where if you provide sufficient information to prove that you are like the next of kin or have per permissions over your mother's voice, we allow to professionally train, uh, professionally clone those voices as well. That's incredible. So I, w one of the questions I had written down was around the 
legality of it and the prevention of the deep fake, um, you know, videos and audio. And yeah. one, one of the big scary, I don't think it's a meme. I think it is actually happening are these audio messages, like voice messages that someone is getting from their mom. You know, I'm in trouble. Don't call me. Don't email me. Send money to this number or they're going to kill me. And it's a fake. It's literally a, yes. like, how are we preventing those kinds of things from yeah. happening? Is that, is that from the training? Um, I think the, the, there's so many aspects to this and definitely something also that's really important to think about and to continue thinking about as AI gets better in all the different facets that exist. And I think a huge component of this is education being aware, creating that awareness in, in the public that AI can now be almost anywhere and to have a critical eye when being confronted with a, a piece of content. The first pieces of this, I think, I remember when uh, Photoshop was being used more and like you would see posters of photographs and you would think like, oh my God, these people are flawless. And then it would be like, no, it's things are Photoshopped. And I think the next uh, shift of of seeing or hearing content should be to to think like is this real or is this generated? Um, so I think there's a huge educational component, but of course uh, a single company like it would be lazy to say the public just has to be aware and then we solve it. There are also safeguards that we can roll out as as part of developing the tech, and I think every AI company that is innovating at the moment has an ethical responsibility to develop safeguards is that around like, wa like watermarks, like the kind of watermarks. For I example, need? for example, watermarks, we have, um, as an example, what I just mentioned with the voice captures implemented that, but we also, um, have a service called AI speech classifier where you can upload an audio snippet and it will tell you whether it was generated with 11 labs. So if you were targeted and, and got a, a voice memo saying, I'm in trouble, don't email me, don't text me, you could upload it to the AI voice classifier. You don't even need an 11 labs account for that. And then it will tell you with 90% certainty whether or not it was uh, created more than 90%, I think it's like almost 100% um, percent certainty whether it was created with 11 labs uh, or not. Um, and that's a really ha handy tool to have for certainty around uh, audio content. Is there, a, is there a person on your team who could do a 20 or 30 minute demo of and Q&A of what 11 labs could do? I'm, we have uh, you know members from 17 countries in our COO alliance I would love to get them some exposure to what 11 Labs is doing. Is there somebody that I can reach out to you later and get them to do a, a demo via Zoom to our team of, of yeah. you, know, you know, three to five B2C, a few B2B, et cetera, use cases? Yeah, uh, for sure. I think I, I would even be able, able to do that. But um, That would be amazing. Put you in okay. touch with someone from the revenue team that is closer to the enterprise customers. Maybe we'll have you both show up and maybe you can do a Q&A <laughs> on, the, on the, the, the CEO side. So... Is there a tie-in? I've got, I've had these, um, the Facebook uh, Ray-Ban glasses for about a year, and they've just come out with the newest version of them. Is there a tie-in with Eleven Labs and what is going to be happening with the AR glasses? Um, so that if I'm looking at a sign, like I just walked into my Airbnb in Mexico, and there's a sign, and I can't read it, and is there an opportunity to have that translated but then read to me? Are you working on that kind of technology, or does that mm -hmm. already exist? 
Uh, not at the moment. So in a way, yes. Like if a, if the company of those glasses would want to incorporate that, they could easily build on top of Eleven Labs. They wouldn't even have to get an enterprise account with any of our self-serve accounts. You get access to our APIs and you can build your own uh, wrapper in a way on top of Eleven Labs. So all that would be needed then is to input the translated text shoot us an API call and you get back the audio and it could be read out loud through through those glasses. So it is definitely a use case that 11 Labs would support, but it is not one that we are working okay. on in-house um, explicitly. It's a conversion. I don't remember what this is called, but it's a conversion of all of these like voice and audio and photo and video that is converging. What's that called in AI right now, the convergence of all this? Um, like, I'm actually not sure either. It's like multi-something or... Multimodal. Multimodal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's what's really exciting is that I, like year, three years ago I I wore a pair of contact lenses and by moving my eyeball around I was able to play a song off my iPhone. I was in a lab using it. I'm like this is crazy that using my eye I can turn on a song on my phone. Like what the fuck? I think that's going to be really cool with your technology as well. The ability to have that multimodal kind of interface. Yeah. You, sure. You've experienced some cool gadgets, AR gadgets. I'm a geek. I don't know. I like this <laughs> stuff. So I need to know from, from your perspective and from your experience, what is the chief of staff title and where is it now fitting into Because it's a title that used to be only in government and now is really mm, aggressively migrated into the business world in it the has, last probably yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Um, I think that the chief of staff title, at least in the sense that I've experienced it and now that uh, um, it, it is at 11 Labs, is that I uh, get to fill all the gaps that exist at a small company where the, the certain functions and projects haven't been set up sufficiently with their own role or even department. So I joined 11 Labs and the first thing I did was compliance. And I'd never thought about compliance before, but I ramped up to understanding what is SOC 2 compliance? What do we need? How do we get there? And how do we get there as fast as possible? And by adding this last factor of as fast as possible, um, I was able to make compliance something that's fun for myself, someone who isn't naturally drawn to compliance, and got through the entire SOC 2 process uh, within seven weeks. And now we have our, our SOC 2 compliance. But that's like one example of of the gaps. The next one was hiring. There are a bunch of internal operations, even taxes, entity setup, all these different things that it takes to to run a company that are a little bit falling through the cracks. If you're only ten to twenty people, uh, chief of staff gets to pick those up and and carry those across the line. And those are a lot of tasks that would naturally fall on the CEO. And by picking them up, it makes more space for the CEO to focus on the expansion and focus on outward things or focus on the bigger topics that need more of, in this case, his attention and, and kind of make, make room for that and more peace of, peace of mind as well. By being really strong operationally, and I think that's one of the core things you need as a chief of staff. You also alleviate not only by picking up those things, but by tracking them and making sure that they never have to think about this again. They know that it's in good hands and it's going to be done, executed uh, fast and, and well. So I think to be a really good chief of staff, you have to be very entrepreneurial, like kind of, you know, th problem solve, think on your feet because nobody has the system for you. 
You need to be very good at project management, very good at time management, probably a quick start that you say yes, and I'll figure it out as we go. Mm. Do you end up putting yourself out of a job over the next few years? Because as you said, that it almost seems like it's kind of like a jack of all trades, master of none, that you're just freaking good at everything. But sooner or later, you're going to have an expert running each domain area. Do you then migrate into a COO kind of role where you're leading all those people, which you already are doing? Because you said something that was really intriguing, which was, it almost seems like a chief of staff is an early stage company role. And then as you get to a mid-sized enterprise level, that role doesn't exist anymore because now you have functional heads. Is that accurate? That's a, a really good uh, question. I think for me, it's an early stage role because that's where Eleven Labs is at the moment. But I think even at a mid-stage company, there are always like ad hoc uh, projects or like almost as if you... A chief of staff is like a SWAT team, so yeah. you can throw them at a specific thing that isn't going well, and and they will f- figure it out. At Palantir before, I was functioning kind of as a chief of staff, and Palantir is at three thousand people, but it's still possible, like within the sub organizations, um, to to have a need for that type of role. But I do think that the growth path of someone that joins early as a chief of staff can be to a, a COO role. Um, and definitely for most of the things that I am setting up at the moment, the plan is to hire someone for finance, hire someone for mm-hmm. talent and hire someone for compliance. It's, it's very similar to my days at 1-800-GOT-JUNK when I was the chief operating officer. My, my first two or three years, I was probably more chief of staff because n- none of the business areas even existed. I had to build out every single business area. And I came in as employee number 14. I left, we had 3,100. And then by the time I was at that third, then I was COO, but you know, it was a very different role than, than the early days. It's why it's, it's super intriguing to me. So, all right. What was it like going from a big organization like a Palantir to an 11? Why did you make that jump? And what did the CEO see in you that made him realize that you weren't going to be this corporate bureaucratic, you know, research researcher? Yeah. The reason I wanted to leave <clears throat> Palantir is because I, I wanted a faster pace. I think out of Big tech corporations, Palantir is probably the fastest. But after being there for almost four years, I feel like I had figured out the system and I kind of knew where the bar was and how to just slightly exceed it with limited, uh, more limited um, speed. Yeah. Yep. And um, so I was looking for something that's that's just quicker um, and maybe even higher pressure. And I, I am still at a point in my life where I want to put my career first um, rather than comfort first. And so I realized that an an early stage startup is where I can both operate faster, but also do this thing that I love where I get thrown at something that I have no idea about and then figure it out and operationalize it. And then it's it's fixed quickly. Um, And then I found 11 Labs because the CEO is actually also a Palantirian. He had left almost a year before me to start 11 Labs. So I knew about its inception um, from even before it was incorporated. I knew Matty from Palantir days and had been following 11 Labs. And then when 11 Labs launched in February and it was a, a huge success, we caught up and spoke about the needs uh, the operational needs of the company at that moment. And I came with some ideas for, for each of those. And we had a, a few conversations around that. And I think both that plus 
knowing many of the people that I worked with and speaking to them about it um, was what what convinced him that I'm not a bureaucratic corporate uh, yeah. <laughs> worker. And I think that is uh, proven successful as well. I think one of the best consequences of it uh, is that there's a lot of trust between uh, this the CEO and me from knowing each other from the previous workplace as well or knowing each other outside of this role um, and I think that is something that really helps or accelerated the ability for the two of us to work together productively from the very beginning. That's incredible. Did I hear you right though that 11 only started in February? Was that February of this year or February of last year? February of this year, we launched the product publicly in beta, okay. but it was incorporated a year earlier. So okay. the the um, CTO and the CEO started it in 2022 and were developing the model until it was released in February of this year and then launched super successfully and now has over millions of users on the B2C side. And um, we exited beta in August of this year. Yeah, it's a ridiculously fast start. Um, yes. You've raised money. I think you raised twenty million and a hundred million dollar valuation. When you're when you're raising twenty, it doesn't even matter if that's pre or post money valuation. It's still it's that's a hell of a raise. What, what yeah. did, the, what did was, the investors see, and and why, and how are you using the money, and then how did it change the company? Yeah, it um it it did happen super fast. In fact, there was a pre-seed round when they started the company and then skipped the seed round straight to series A of this year. And I think what the investors saw, to put it bluntly, they saw the numbers. They saw how much users were loving this and how much it it, it um could uptake in just a few months. Like it was probably the fastest growing company in the world for a while of this year. Mm-hmm. Um and so that is already uh, something that's convincing to to the investors. But I think there's also an atmosphere shift from when Eleven Labs was first incorporated, and it was maybe a little bit harder to raise money in the pre-seed round, to the world we are in in 2023, where the uh, potential upside of AI is so much more prevalent and something that investors are seeking out and realizing as well. Right. This this could go on for days because I'm so intrigued with the space, with you as a leader. We've got to wrap. I've got, I'll ask you kind of my one standard question. What advice would you give to the 21 or 22-year-old Victoria? You know, maybe she's just heading off to, to do her or just, just finishing your undergraduate degree. What advice would you give yourself that you know to be true today, but you wish you'd known back then? Um, I think it would be that no one else knows better. I think often you think that, okay, I'm confronted with this question. I need to find someone that knows the answer to this question. And in the workplace, that's often like escalating to your to your lead um, and being like, I we need to file our end year report in with the HMRC. What do we do? Um, as like a recent example. And the answer is so frequently, I don't know. So if you start with the assumption that n- no one else knows better or knows the answer immediately allows you to go and seek it out yourself and find a way to get it done yourself. And I think for me, that is one of the the pieces that um, are like core to the way I work now and, and what has made me valuable to um, the places I work at as well is because I just go and figure out how to do the thing. 
I love it. This is going to be a really fun ride to watch. I think you and Eleven are going to be doing some incredible stuff. Um, I definitely need you to let me know when you're going public, please, please, please. I've missed out. <laughs> I've missed out. I told the founder of Uber it was the stupidest idea I've ever heard. I missed out on the founders round <laughs> of a couple other companies. I'm not missing out on this one. Victoria Weller, the chief of staff for Eleven Labs, thanks so much for sharing with us on the Second Command podcast. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.